I'm Fathery. This is Dave. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 201st installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new, and tonight we're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 5. This is our second of three podcast episodes focused on Season 5 of DS9, so we're going to be specifically discussing kind of the middle nine episodes out of the 26 episode seasons. So that's going to be season five, episode 10, Rapture, all the way up to season five, episode 18, Business as Usual. Yeah, we'll start with the Messiah uh, and uh, end with uh, uh, arms dealing genocidal quirk. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, we'll see Cisco become the Kwisatz Haderach and then end with uh, with with. <laughs> Quark weighing 28 million lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we finally find his limit. <laughs> so it's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about. There there's some good episodes in between. We're going to have a baby uh, Kiryoshi be born. We're going to have a, the really cool yeah. two-parter of the the Purgatory's Shadow and Inferno's Flame two-parter. Um I always forget like which one is first, but it's uh Purgatory's Shadow is first. The one where they're trying to blow up a sun, that's Inferno's light. That's the way to remember it. And it for me at least so far, I, I feel like what is probably Worf's most amazing sort of like physical martial act <laughs> that he's ever done. Yeah, this ain't TNG Worf who gets his ass kicked no, in four seconds. Is this, this is DS9 Worf, so mm-hmm. uh before we start unpacking these episodes, though, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, first and foremost, big thank you to all of our patrons out there. We really appreciate everyone who chips in over on the Patreon. It means a lot to us. So thank you, Starfleet Boy, Cake is Eternal, Gay Clevin, Lundstrom, Crazy Dutchie, Joanne Robertson, Quarks Bar, and our anonymous supporters. We will be doing a patron watch long. If you're checking us out live on Friday, it'll be tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, we do one every month. We're watching Trials and Tribulations had a lot of fun you know doing the a mock time watch long uh, a month ago so we're gonna continue to do this if you come into the patreon as low as is two dollars a month we have some different tiers but you know we, we want to have uh, a two dollar a month option to make it really affordable if, if you come in at any tier you get into the watch alongs and there's also some additional perks uh so check those out if you're interested in joining and, and being a part of those watch alongs uh, also just want to remind everyone that star trek las vegas is coming up in late august uh, i think it starts the 24th and then it runs through that weekend i will be there in las vegas so if anyone wants to see me that's where you can find me that's also when we're gonna have the premiere of star trek lower decks and so we'll be covering uh lower decks starting the Premiere is on the 25th, so we'll have a stream on the day following on that Friday and then release, you know, wherever you get your podcast for usual, even though I'll be on, on the road in Vegas, I'll have the mobile emitter set up, so we'll <laughs> still get the still get the show out. Hell yeah. 
and then you know next week we'll be wrapping up ds9 season five and then i don't i don't know what's gonna happen between next week in vegas we might uh come up with some some fun stuff we'll uh we'll, we'll see but uh still working on that but but yeah so uh ds9 season five rapture through business as usual uh let's just go ahead and get started with rapture yeah so this episode uh, was written by uh, teleplay by Hans Beimler and story by L.J. Strom and directed by Jonathan West. A shock Cisco receives when the Hollow Sweet System shorts gives him psychic insight to a lost Bajoran city. That was kind of a tongue twister. It's tongue twister. But, <laughs> you know what I was thinking as I was as I was watching this is that uh, what happens to him is somewhere between uh, like a very vivid mushroom trip where everything is like hyper real mm. and uh, Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters. Uh, driven to to learn yeah he's got that uh that little nod in there where he's playing with his food <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah this is also the debut of the black and gray uniforms on ds9 uh, which i i think kind of uh they, they they work really well on these uh you know backgrounds and stuff it's kind of it's not like on discovery when they changed their uniforms to those gray ones and, and you know didn't really match the the sets mm-hmm. Uh, so that they kind of lucked out there but yeah this is uh, right after first contact would have would have been released and so this is kind of becoming like the new standard uniform in starfleet but yeah it's kind of like the search for atlantis the bajoran city of bahala this this ancient city that was lost and uh he he does kind of become like uh, yeah he's he's like walking around like he's jesus like like telling people like uh oh uh, don't worry your father will f- or your son will forgive you admiral or you know like you don't belong here go home or you're going to have a good harvest this year stop worrying yeah it's kind of wild you know cisco is usually kind of reticent about his uh potential status as the prophet or the emissary i mean uh, and this is one of those cases where, you know, it's like he sees the light and so he embraces it. Yeah. We saw him, you know, previously when he had a, a rival for the position of emissary. Um, we we kind of saw him embrace his role as the emissary there with the Bajoran people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of accept the role. I think this ep- episode, it's more about like him accepting it on the on the other side, like his relationship with with the prophets. And he's like, oh, no, I actually like do like these these entities and the and the wormhole i like them interfering with with my life after all because you know this is actually pretty cool getting to see all the past see all the future and trying to wrap my head around it and uh, he almost you know gets lost in all of that well you know i'm a, a, a skeptical guy at heart but one thing that i it's never find myself really able to argue against is personal experience and that's that's kind of what this episode is all about he is he is simply seeing things at a level that 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 other people cannot and uh, yeah it's like it, it drops the polytreides on him <laughs> yeah so if, you, if you've seen dune um or if you've read the books i should say i guess the movies haven't really gotten into this stuff too much i guess that it dabbles with it a little bit but it's it's weird you know how close he is with jake and how we know that relationship is like the most important thing to him but he was still kind you know he was willing to like sacrifice himself to these visions i think that's when you know like he's like really kind of drowning in it when mm-hmm. uh, you know we we saw the in the visitor when he was like like he, you know he knows what it what would happen to jake without him right yeah syrik lofton did a gave another really strong performance in this one i think his um his fear about losing his 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 dad to this is just fantastic and also like avery brooks that kind of anguished quality he has over how close he came which is still that sort of messianic zeal uh they're the, you know just great performances from from both those characters uh, Father, like just in general, did did you like this episode? Were you were you enjoying watching uh, Cisco surrender to this? Um, yeah, I think this is a, a fun one because it, especially like knowing what comes later in the show, it sets up a lot of mm. things, and, and and some things kind of make sense, like why Cisco might be so um 
susceptible to, to 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 these visions and stuff. But it sounds like a phenomenon that's been known to happen on Bajor. They have uh, the the Pa Temfar, and there's a science fiction explanation for all of it. But you know, kind of the cool thing this episode, it kind of does get into like the faith versus science stuff. We see different perspectives. So no matter where you fall on the spectrum, I think you see like a character voicing that opinion. You know, we have uh, like Kira, just like she literally believes that yeah these wormhole aliens are the gods of her people and they right. listen to her prayers and you know like she's just a, a true literally a true believer Worf is a guy who just he just believes in like the value of faith you know he says as long as the captain's faith is strong you know that's what gives him strength he'll he'll mm-hmm. survive if he believes he will survive so he's he's kind of more of just like you know just faith in general is just a good idea it's it's a necessity and then you have Dax, who's like, you know, I, I just keep an open mind and I'm the science officer. And I think all like these weird possibilities are cool. And, you know, like maybe we should kind of explore and, and dabble with it. And then you have, you know, O'Brien, who is like, 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 no, this is all just too, too weird, too freaky, too dangerous. I just want I just want Julian to be taking care of him. And, you know, if Julian yeah. says it's unsafe, if, if the if the doctor says it's not healthy, then we need to just pull the plug on this whole thing. And every, even though that's not really Julian, this is the changeling infiltrator. Spoilers for a later episode. But this is where the infiltration happened. I was trying to figure out, uh, like, and, and as I after having watched that episode reveal a few uh, a little down the line, when it would have been occurring. Yeah. yeah, it was right here. They they decided that they, they would make it where the uniforms change. Because, you know, when we see the Trubashir later, he's still wearing the old uniform. And, and and Ron Moore said that, yeah, this is when the, the writers decided this is where it was different. Uh, now, the actor, uh, Alexander Siddig, didn't know uh, until uh, a, a few episodes later. So he's not playing them any different. But canonically, this is the this is the changeling. Uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I guess that, uh, well, a few episodes later, um, or no, uh, well, O'Brien is, you know, mentions him being a little bit different and... Mm. God, it's it's at the beginning of one of those later episodes when uh, somebody. Oh, I know. It's when Garrick says, "You've changed since I uh, first met you," and mm-hmm. uh, it is like I was like, "Oh yeah, he just thinks he's grown," <laughs> and he has. He has that. That's the thing. He has changed as a person, but you know, we didn't know that he had recently quite literally been swapped um but they do there is some foreshadowing it makes sense that the dominion would be like yeah this guy can see the future that's probably not good because we have plans you know so we do need to right. like, take this away from him uh but he, he he sees like a swarm of locusts that shows up and goes to cardassia instead of bajor uh, mm-hmm. so we can figure out you know an episode we'll discuss later we'll kind of explain what that is uh the, the pivotal yeah. thing here i guess is cisco keeping bajor from joining the federation what john luke told him was his mission in the first episode of the show you know he he, he goes running into that room he's like no bajor must stay out of the federation it's too soon so bajor remains you know the independent uh republic of bajor well you know as i'm watching this the first time i thought it was like i was like oh holy shit this is an episode where bajor joins the federation they announce mm-hmm. it it's like happening and i was like oh i wonder what repercussions that will have uh well as it turns out it gets shot down by the end of the episode but like that was like for me not knowing what was to come a kind of a big roller coaster uh just seeing that the possibility was right about to be there and then thrown away uh i kind of felt like the admiral at that point or is it the Adm- is he an yeah, admiral? Ad- admiral watley he called ds9 a spinning bicycle wheel yeah <laughs> i was like uh yeah could you go and handle that shit cisco because you're threatening uh like something really important here but now, like, Starfleet's hands are tied because they're like, well, shit, we can't, like, fire Cisco and, and take his commission away and move him off of this post because then we'll probably lose Bajor forever, so. Right, right. Uh, there, it, it is one of the, the dangers of uh, dealing with the messianic figures, you know? It's like, 
it's it's all sort of well and good when they you know when it's sort of helping out your your own self interests and then if it turns against you you don't know those tides may be uncontrollable. That's That's really getting into getting into the Dune novels there. Right, for sure. It gave us that funny joke where Quark revealed the wrong flag. You know, he's trying to have like the celebration for joining the Federation, and instead he he dropped down the Klingon banner. So he's just ready for whoever to take over the station. He has a flag yeah. for them. It called to mind the uh, the old Simpsons bit uh, where he's like, "I for one welcome our new ant overlords." <laughs> like the instant an ant goes across the camera, in, in, as in the shot of the what is the space shuttle or space station. <laughs> uh, we also get to see Kai Wen in this episode, and we get a little bit more substance and nuance and backstory for her you know we we find out during the occupation she spent five years in a a prison camp being being whipped for for preaching the bajoran religion yeah i uh still found it hard to sympathize with her because i was like (laughs) i don't know is she telling it how it really happened uh you know i i just feel like i can never trust anything she says and that you know she had her own you know designs what what did did they make out did she have a particular because she's going to ask uh, what she wants to says she wants to ask the uh, emissary for forgiveness, right? Right. This is the first time she's accepted Cisco as the emissary. Yeah, she's, she's kind of uh, rejected him up until now. Are we led to believe that she is doing it? Like she never does anything without self interest. You know, somewhere in there. I I think she does. You know, really have faith in the in the prophets, and I think now like she just can't like deny like, oh yeah, I guess I guess he really is the the chosen one. I guess uh, I guess I have to admit I was wrong. Yeah, you know, I don't know where her journey ends. Uh, I know that she has been among the uh, most hated villains for me in in, in all of Trekdom, but I, I think well portrayed. Like I don't, I think the actress has always done a good job. It's it's some I think sometimes thankless to play somebody as duplicitous as that, but uh, she's always done done good with it. I, I did notice early on that the thing where I, I liked seeing Cisco kind of do the work of the sort of archaeological stuff before he kind of has the moment. And, uh, you know, that, there was that sort of thing like the Blade Runner Esper device where he's, you know, doing the analysis and, you know, he's like Photoshop work and stuff, too, uh, to try and uh, to, to to work it out. And anyway, just one of those small things. I like seeing the work done, that sense of that time commitment and the, the detail. I know you're a big fan of Cassidy Yates. So uh, b- before we have to move on to the next episode, just r- were you happy to see her out of prison finally? <laughs> uh, you say that sarcastically, because, I assume, because Cassidy was not normal. Early on, I was not really liking her. I think when, when... I thought that last episode, you you uh, you it's changed true. your tune, right? So I, yeah, I was. I didn't know if you were just trying to troll me or not, because yes, when she when I found out about her kind of associations with the Maquis and all that, uh, I started to see sort of a depth in, 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 to the character that I hadn't seen before, and I definitely liked her more at that point. Uh, yeah, I actually felt bad that she should come back and sort of have to deal, uh, run immediately into this sort of schism. Sometimes that's how life is. <laughs> yeah, though. he's like, get in the runabout. We're going to go find Bajoran Atlantis. Like, oh, no, I'm in a coma. I'm going to die now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The usual tradition is uh, the person who's been in prison is the one who finds religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She she came back and she's like, guess what? <laughs> and Cisco's like, guess what? <laughs> but she kind of has something to like bond with Jake over, you know, like watching his father... Uh... <laughs> On the, on the on the hospital bed you know they they kind of uh yeah they kind of bond through that but. right right you know at this point there is that the you know they've, they've been close to you know they've been a family uh, you know of some <laughs> of, a, of a stripe one last thing for me before we move on to the next episode is i just want to point out garrick went to prison for trying to blow up the the changeling home world and right. he got out of prison before cassidy yates got out for aiding the maquis so uh. she had a longer sentence than garrick did 
So that's funny. I'm sure that like kind of behind the scenes that there's not a whole lot of thought <laughs> given to prison sentences and comparative stuff. They just don't think about that a whole lot. Uh, but uh, that's a fair point. Uh, I just wanted to say I, I thought the ending was sweet with the with them all sort of holding hands there. Um, I like I like the sort of assertion of the the family there. Yeah, and that's something that'll definitely grow as the show goes on. Let's move on to the next episode: the darkness and the light. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, story by Brian Fuller, directed by Michael Viger. An assassin targets her resistance colleagues, then captures Kira. So this episode, it was the first uh, Brian Fuller writing credit, I think maybe out of his entire career, but also his oh. first in Star Trek, obviously. You know, he'd go on to uh, develop Star Trek Discovery, he become a, a big writer on Voyager for a little bit, and, you know, he made all these other TV shows, too. Um, he, he's a guy who used to be obsessed with death. Now he's kind of obsessed with mushrooms. All of his TV shows have to do with mushrooms now. Uh, but but initially, like everything had to do with like death. And so I'm not surprised that his first Star Trek episode is about uh, a serial killer. Yep. I I, I looked up something on this on uh, Memory Alpha. Later on, that would bite me in the ass because I did find out. Uh, I, I found out about uh, Bashir about three hours before I watched the episode. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, where the reveal would have happened. We'll get to that in a minute. But But I saw that I think a reference that it was like, inspired by the Agatha Christie uh, story and then there were none which is a story I really like uh, incidentally that's it's it's sort of a locked room mystery or in this case it was an it's an island mystery a bunch of people called to an island who start disappearing now that's not quite actually how this plays out it's you know if it's inspired by it it's still it's very much the episode is its own thing but it's a format I like you know the trying to figure out a killer Mm. who's seems one step ahead of everything yeah it's a, a pretty common you know uh story structure but it, w- it was fun to see here and and ron moore actually scripted the episode based on you know brian fuller's story but i, I really like some of the choices ron moore made uh, as a kid this episode really frustrated me because i really liked uh kira's uh resistance buddies yeah uh, pharrell and lupaza and i i i thought it was so shitty they're like oh cool they showed up i like them and then immediately after that they're dead yeah it's it's it kind of sucks because in some ways you know it almost could have been they could have killed off no names right you know they could have been some other people she had worked with but it does have more impact because of that uh, and i feel like the episode has sort of like it, it it amps up the dramatic quotient on it it's pretty creepy the uh the little the messages and stuff that are uh yeah. mentioned that's uh, one the, that's one. That's yeah. one. The what is it? They call it a remat detonator. I don't know if. Um, yeah, the the transporter death, and that was that was gruesome. It's it's on the grislier side of corpses they've ever shown in the in the show. I yeah, think. and transporter accidents, which I mean, transporter accidents have gotten pretty gruesome before. You know, look at the motion picture. Uh, sure. This is one of the best episodes for Nana visitors. She just makes me cry when I'm watching this episode, like so much. Like when I see her in pain, it makes me in pain. The mm-hmm. the whole story about the woman uh, who who died in the in the transporter, Trenton Fala, just like her story. Like she was always like so scared and so terrified. You know, she just she just cleaned the offices in the Cardassian building and and was always uh, always scared they were gonna they were gonna catch her. And you know, I I think yeah. she was the bravest one out of all of us. And uh, you you actually like see like a tear roll off of Nana Visitor's face onto the bio bed when when she's talking to to Odo about you know having to having to go through all this and she's clearly able to summon that kind of emotion and uh, she is one of my favorite characters on the show whenever she gets these kind of emotional scenes they tend to luckily they 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 are built around strong writing like you know i'd i'd regret it if they if if the actress was doing so much work and it wasn't something i really cared about but like she gets a lot of good scenes 
uh yeah i was i was fully on board at this one it's also like kind of she gets to do something cool which is i'm sure somewhat unusual that as while she is pregnant she gets to kick some ass <laughs> like yeah. like it's like a it does feel, you feel like she's in heightened danger right she's taking she's protecting two people but also like when she has to get past those security guards she just like kicks the shit out of them yeah and, and <laughs> nana visitors had already had her kid uh, Jango. He okay, was, he so was yeah, already, they're just... He was actually born in the, the Ryza episode, Let He Who Is Without huh. Sin. That's why uh, Alexander Sadig really hates his performance in the uh, when he breaks up with Lita in that episode, because he, mm. that was, like, right after, like, his kid was born, and he was so distracted, because he was like, oh, I want to be yeah. with, like, my newborn son I just had with Nana Visitors and not be here. I guess that's invisible to me, which, you know, good on him. It didn't, it's, uh, seems like it didn't, didn't impact at least my viewing of that episode, I had that problems with that episode, but he wasn't one of them. Do you think it was wrong of Kira to endanger the O'Brien baby by going after this uh, serial killer? I, I've seen some people, you know, kind of a uh, kind of hate on this episode because they think that's irresponsible of her. That's interesting. It's it's actually one of the ones I've liked most this season. I think, uh, arguably, yes, that that's that's a reasonable read of it. I think because there is a sort of a certain tropes involved, you know, of, you know, you're, you're tracking down the killer. You're the, you're the one doing that. And, and, and <laughs> that weird sort of meta thing. Yeah. Main character is probably not going to get killed doing that. <laughs> Although they, they get to a pretty scary close place. And what is going to happen is also very creepy. You know, the, what removal of the baby and all that yeah. stuff. But I think because, uh, because I'm sort of used to that sort of trope, I didn't think about it as much and it didn't bother me. I think she's justified because this killer had made it clear that he can get to people wherever they are right like like her baby wasn't safe right anyway and so she had to I, I think that's a pretty reasonable read on it too like she had to stop him <laughs> she sees that she was wrong and pharrell and lupaza were right because they wanted to go after him and she's yeah, like no right. like just stay here on the station odo can keep us safe well apparently he can't so yeah we got to go after him yeah normally they would uh you know that'd be a pretty safe thing odo's a pretty good guy to have watching over you but throughout this season, and it's a general Deep Space Nine trope, the uh, the bad guys are very effective, uh, whether it's, um, you know, or antagonists, I should say. I don't know if they're always even bad guys, but, like, <laughs> Eddington is super effective. Uh, Changeling's super effective. This particular uh, vengeance seeker, yep. very effective. Uh, Salaran Prin, he, he cleaned uniforms for Gol Parak, who murdered Bajorans yeah. for not displaying the Cardassian yeah. flag. Uh, Ron Moore said that he took particular pride, though, in writing this episode because he wanted to make sure that Kira wouldn't be kind of wishy-washy. Like, yes, we all did bad things during the war, and I'm sorry that, you know, this happened to you. And uh, yeah. But 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 no, she doesn't do any of that. She she just says, like, like you know, fuck you. You were part of the occupation. I'm sorry that we had to, to blow y'all up, but we were going to do what we had to do to get free. She says you were a legit target. Yeah, you were a legit target. Yeah, I, um, I like that, too. That's one of the reasons reasons why this is going to be an episode that stands out continues to stand out for me and it'll stay in my memory is that she was unrepentant on that and that guy I, I i liked seeing her kind of again do you know the work of tracking him down he's a creepy dude and uh oh i know that's what i wanted to mention in the first you know that first season episode it's a great episode duet but you know i had some issues with kira's kind of ability to forgive <laughs> at that point i didn't quite buy it i was like not not that doesn't seem who she is this seemed like who she is yeah well i think if this guy was actually trying to like hold you know cardassia responsible for their war crimes she would right. be singing a different tune but he's he's not he's trying to you know have revenge so yeah she's she's not she's gonna send him to the cemetery and she does 
So right, and yet that you know the guy, of course, he's not portrayed. You know, he he is portrayed as pretty deranged. His the way he talks, like in a third person, like narrator style mm-hmm. about her doom and stuff like that. He's off. He's off his rocker. Uh, but it's not as if I don't see have any sympathy for him. I'm not. You know, I'm not a Bajoran who quite feels it the way Kira does. And I'm like, oh man, that's like kids died. They say I think they said kids died right uh, when the bombing she did. Yeah, that dude's family, I guess, was was in the building. Yeah. If you think about it, how could she possibly have avoided that? They were occupying her world. That that they brought families with them is on the Cardassians. <laughs> There's another cool thing in here with Nog actually helping to uh, track down the killer and stuff, and helping like you know figure out oh these these voice messages. They're actually using Kira's voice, but he was using yeah, like his Ferengi ears, so it's kind of cool to see. It. We'll see more of it. A, in, yeah, in a few a episodes moment, down but... the line, we see Ferengi super hearing. Uh, <laughs> I, I liked it. It was uh, kind of cool to re- remember the. You know, some physiological differences between the different aliens. A lot of people are, you know, Ferengi could just be kind of greedy humans sometimes. And it's nice to be reminded that, uh, yeah, that uh, they they actually are a little biologically different. (laughs) And I guess the other thing I like in this episode, speaking of Ferengi, is when Worf quoted a rule of acquisition to (laughs) Jadzia, uh, you know, about treat those in debt to you like family, exploit them. And she's like, how do you know the rules of acquisition? And Worf says, I'm a graduate of Starfleet Academy. I know many things. It's like, yeah, Worf went to college. He's not an idiot. <laughs> right. Yeah, sometimes writers forget that. <laughs> I also liked their banter there and that it was kind of about something a little bit uh, lighter. Uh, I, was, uh, I was like, it's helping clear the, uh, oh, anti-sex Worf from uh, Risa that, yeah, from the, that episode. Yeah, the jealous, is. prudish Worf. Yeah. yeah, I was happy to see that kind of go on. <laughs> But yeah, this was this was actually one of my favorite episodes of the season so far. Cool. Yeah, I I think it doesn't get enough praise. I think it's a a really great episode. But there there's so many great ones in DS9. I think I I think some of the real gems like this kind of get buried. Uh, but somehow yeah, they stu- they good. they jump out for me a little bit more when uh, when they're Kira related and uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the Dominion War and uh, Bajoran occupation stories tend to be really good. Well, let's move on to season five, episode twelve, The Begotten, written by Rene Etreveria and directed by Jesus Salvador Trevino. Deep Space Nine celebrates the birth of the O'Brien baby as Odo and Doctor Mora struggle to save the life of a changeling infant. So this is a Odo gets his groove back. Uh, right, right. Uh, you know, these are these are all exciting things for me. I didn't know that that was going to happen. This episode itself is a little bit. Uh, it's it's kind of both hit and miss for me. But I was excited by that that ending. I didn't actually guess that that was going to be the case. I I don't know. Like you know, I, I think I've told you I don't with mysteries and big arcs. I don't tend to think a whole lot ahead. I'm enjoy, I'm usually pretty in the moment. And you know, I knew something could potentially develop out of it, maybe with the changelings. But I expected it might be more about oh the nature of the way he relates to them. You know, possible changelings in the future that are not so uh, you know don't have that the attitudes of the Dominion. But uh, but yeah, I didn't I didn't expect that he would be getting his changeling status back. It was cool seeing him basically like take like this uh, inanimate object, like this this puddle of goo. I, I know inanimate's not a, a good way of describing it. it's actually very animated, but uh, taking what you know looks to to us as just like a an object, you know, so, oh, this is like some liquid, and like having these conversations and stuff with it. Uh, th- I think that's like a, a a pretty cool performance from Renee and. Uh, I also really enjoy him patching things up with Dr. Mora, kind of, uh, you know, understanding him a little bit more, Mora kind of apologizing and Odo kind of being more sympathetic. It's uh, something I definitely appreciate more now as an adult than as a kid. But yeah, it's something that I think a lot of us, you know, kind of go through is the older you get, the more you understand your parents. It's cliche to say that, but it, it is true. 
And there's also, you know, kind of a, a joy in fostering a, a, a young life or something like that, that, that Odo, you know, sure. probably never expected to have. And then he's, it, it's cool to see Odo happy in celebration mode when he's getting <laughs> drunk and quarks, you know. Those were my, my favorite scenes were mostly about Odo and the child. And I thought I his performance was great in a lot of these moments. And that it, it actually kind of had me thinking about more like the broader concepts of science fiction and some people who don't, there's like some people out there who just don't do science fiction. Yeah. And, you know, it's not as if there aren't enough great stories out there in the world that, you know, that's you're not, you're not going to die if you don't watch sci fi. But I'm like, man, if you can't like see the, the, the you know, the sort of the beauty of this, how you, you can have an actor doing something that seems like it should be absurd. He is talking to this bowl of essentially kind of gelatin, <laughs> but like injecting as much, in, you know, intensity and uh, emotion into it as any Shakespearean actor holding, you know, the Horatio skull. skull. Yeah, well, Horatio is who he's talking well, to. The skull is the other guy. But yeah. yes, that scene in the Gravedigger scene in Hamlet. Like, yes, we all should be able to understand that actors can, like, bring almost anything, any amount of emotion and convincingness to, to a situation. And this is a perfect example of sci-fi doing an amazing job of it, you know, doing something universal with something so seemingly esoteric as a, a gelatinous alien form. What I didn't love was the, oh, I guess the... <laughs> Trying to, I don't know, I guess represent these, the spare the rod, spoil the child perspective. I didn't, I, I didn't, I thought it was a, a little repetitious that, you know, Odo's kind of indictments of him, I, you know, while valid were, I, I just kind of heard him a lot in the episode. And then, yeah, I, I didn't love the uh, notion of trying to, I don't know, I guess sort of find this middle ground between a guy who I felt like represented like, you know, uh, giving kids a whooping and, and the, uh, you know, Odo as the, I guess, touchy-feely parent is what he would be considered in the 90s. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I Mora needed the voice that he did. And um, I don't know if Mora was, uh, I, I thought, as, uh, maybe as apologetic as I would have liked to or him to have been. What about the the B story with uh, with Kira's birth? Uh, I was anxious for Kira because uh, I was like, "Stop that arguing, you pieces of shit!" <laughs> <laughs> but I also cracked up at like, uh, I loved when what's his name arrived late. Is it Shakar? Shakar, yeah. When he arrived late and like O'Brien does his little gong angrily at him, it's like dong, like kind of gives him this glare. And overall, I, I I liked that they showed that though. I was glad that everybody got to kind of have their to chill out and. Um, you know, see the birth. So, uh, yeah, overall, like I liked it. All right. But, but yeah, I was, I thought it was maybe like slightly too broad comedy to have this sort of the bickering, you know, <laughs> O'Brien with, and Shakar. Next time you're going to have a baby, leave my girlfriend out of it. Yeah. Not cool, bro. Not cool. <laughs> it does make sense that like the, you know, I guess like the head of state of the entire planet would be busy and probably running late and stuff, but it, it's interesting to me. There were a lot of budgetary constraints in season five because they spent so much money on trials and tribulations, and they actually wanted to have Shakar in uh, the, I guess, two previous episodes. They wanted to have him uh, in Rapture because when they're, you know, signing the the treaty or the agreement or whatever to bring Bajor into the Federation, they wanted to have him there, but they're like, oh, we can't afford to bring on another guest star, and then they wanted to have him uh, in, in the, the previous episode, The Darkness and the Light. Because, you know, it's his resistance cell. The, the, they're literally called the Shakar resistance cell. That, right. You know, right. like he would be a, he's probably easy to defend on. You know, he has like Bajoran secret service or whatever. But, you know, you think that that would at least come up within the episode. So, but no, instead they use him here to be like the, the comic relief in the, the baby episode about, about Odo and Kira both uh, losing, losing their babies. 
yeah, that, I liked that ending. I think I uh, saw. Did I see that there was some change to that? That um... there was oh, kind right, of a, a last was... minute addition. Uh, Nana visitors uh, was like, I think she would, you know, be kind of sad about giving up this life that she carried all these months, and so they added the scene, which is crazy because this is such like the, it's like kind of like the most important moment. It ties the A story and B story together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always wild to me how sometimes those um, you know a, an actor's influence on a storyline, you know, uh, can can be like vitally important. And sometimes what we think of as like just a key aspect of some movie or TV show was something last minute. <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. But I did like that. I thought that was a neat, neat bit uh, of connection between the two of them. Well, one last thing for me. Huh? Now, knowing that this Dr. Bashir is actually a changeling infiltrator, it's kind of interesting that, you know, he wasn't able to do more to save this baby. So I'm thinking that he must have known that, that baby, the radiation, like it was it, it was past the point of no return. There was no saving it. Otherwise, like he wouldn't have you know, turned it over to Odo and Mora like that. Right. The changelings are very much about self-preservation. Right. They they love their own. About unity, yeah, uh, except when somebody turns on them like Odo did. But even even with, you know, they're still kind of protective of him. Like, the, the Martok changeling, like, wouldn't let Odo, like, go go face Galron. He didn't want him to, you know, be killed. Like, they're, they, they yeah, they turned him human, but they're, they're still kind of protective of him. Right, so, they didn't kill him. Yeah, maybe maybe he was also thinking like, oh, well, maybe this will give Odo his his changeling powers back. So that's kind of, you know, something that I would like. So maybe, uh, I don't yeah. know. If they were to talk about it in a book, it'd actually be an interesting thing to expand on a little bit. Uh, I, I, I jotted down a line that made me laugh. That's just <laughs> from early on where Worf walks across um, <laughs> the uh, scene of uh, with Odo and he says, Constable, why are you talking to your beverage? Yeah. <laughs> just... Uh, that's good stuff. <laughs> also, uh, the other funny moment, I guess, moment, I guess, was Quark like negotiating, like, uh, "I'll give it to you for five slips of latinum." And it was like, "It's alive." <laughs> Ten slips. Oh, it's sick. Oh, well, eight slips. You know. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, that's good material. That's good material. Okay, well, we'll go on to the next episode. Uh, I think this is a, a big one for a lot of people. Season five, episode thirteen, for the uniform, written by Peter Allen Fields and directed by. Victor Wobble. Cisco obsessively pursues Maquis leader Michael Eddington. So yeah, this is the uh, the, the return of Eddington, uh, dangerous Maquis criminal. Oh, we also get the uh, the Hollow Communicator. Uh, which yeah, did I see that this was a short lived thing? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna discuss both episodes that use it. Yeah, I, it's kind of a too bad that 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 was like it, I I actually I see some pretty cool stuff in it, and part of it is that uh, Eddington is like by the way these next three episodes represent like my probably my favorites of the maybe my favorites of the season so far mm. uh, it was just it was such a good little batch of three in a row that's, i think it's interesting that uh, uh, our friend thad on twitter said that uh these three and then the one that follows it dr bashir i presume that those four episodes are are prime deep space nine in his opinion uh yeah let's see i'm trying to remember where i um dr bashir i i had like one or two minor issues we'll, with we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in a moment we'll but. get to it but here but like it, it is crazy to me how successful eddington is in this episode like man i like no wonder cisco gets as worked up as i've ever seen him like arguably more than he is over dominion stuff because he gets you know he gets fired essentially from chasing eddington in this and he just loses at every turn it's uh it's pretty brutal eddington's so they they play him out to be like as as KG as any you know military leader or rebel ever was. Yeah, for the first time ever, Cisco is pulled off of a off of a case. Uh, he's already mad at Eddington for you know tricking him previously. You know, being a being a snake in the grass on the station, betraying him, y- using his position as the security officer on the station to to aid the Maquis. I love Odo telling Cisco like 
Did you ever point out to Starfleet that they insisted on assigning Eddington to the station because they didn't trust me? Cisco's like, no. <laughs> yeah. And Oda's like, would you mind pointing that out to them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, completely fair call on his part. Uh, you know, I think what, I don't know if this is kind of, like, obviously part of what galls Cisco is that it all happened under him. He even mentions, he's like, I put him up for a promotion. You know, <laughs> he is pissed. I took him to a baseball game in the hollow suite. Yeah, it's personal. But also, Eddington kind of always dangles the moral high ground over him. He's like, I'm not a villain. He's like, we didn't kill these people. We, you, you know, we don't do that. You know, we, uh, he keeps on throwing it in, in Cisco's face. And uh, part of me thinks that Cisco is pissed because Eddington is kind of right. <laughs> He's, he can't, it's have, having a tough time dealing with some of that. Uh, his Starfleet uh, idealism is uh, clashing with their kind of, uh, this guerrilla movement. <laughs> he does really uh, rub it into Cisco's face and he keeps making references to, uh, Les Mis, which I've never read or watched oh, any yeah. of the adaptations or anything. I'm kind of like Dax. I'm like, um, what's that guy's Victor Hugo? The yeah. I I don't, I don't, I tried reading The Hunchback a, a, a one time and I, I couldn't get into that, so I, I kind of just never had any interest. But everything I know about Les Mis, I know from this episode. I know uh, you got to say Les Mis. Les you Mis. Say what Les I, see, I don't yeah. even know how to say uh, stuff. Yeah. I, everything I know is from uh, the musical, which is kind of what most modern people will know. But I know a number. I've actually wanted to read the book because I love the musical, and uh, I know a number of people who've recommended the book. Uh, it is one of those kind of big, big old, you know, eight hundred page kind of giants, though, and I haven't gotten around to it. But yeah, it, it, it's a portrayal of a sort of hypocritical, cruel police officer desperately in pursuit of a guy who's very, very much wrongly accused. Uh, you know, it's like it's literally the he stole bread to feed his family kind of thing. And uh, seeing that, you know, the ultimately the the uh, police inspector Javert uh, will like kind of like. It's like he self-destructs because, you know, for all that he wants this guy to be a villain, he's not. <laughs> and so uh, you can see why Eddington, who's clearly also an egotist, would, would really want to identify with the hero of it. I thought that was a uh, kind of cool when Cisco, and also a little scary when Cisco is like, all right, I'll, I'll play his game. And he's like, I'll go and drop some ra ra radiation on these guys um, and, and, and give him a taste of his own medicine and make sure be the villain he wants me to be. That was a unnerving and I suspect a big, in, in some ways, turning point for Cisco based on just broadly what I kind of know about how things play about play out in, in DS9. Well, maybe that uh, the stuff with Admiral Watley has started to go to Cisco's head like, oh, yeah, like Starfleet can't fire me. So I'm just going to do what I want from now on for the rest of the show. I'm just I'm just going to. I'm just, I'm not gonna, I'm done asking permission. I'm just gonna, Cisco is gonna Cisco, you know? But depending on who you ask, this is either Cisco proving he's the most badass Starfleet captain or him proving mm -hmm. he's the worst Starfleet captain. I've heard some people condemn Cisco because of this episode. They thought that it was, mm. it was just in the wrong to poison those colonies and drive those colonists off. I've also seen, there's a lot of memes of a commander launch torpedoes. So if you've ever seen those or wondered where those come from, they, they come from this episode. Like, you know, how all the captains have to have their catchphrase now, like, like right, hit it, right. let's fly, uh, whatever. But like, the, the, sometimes they'll show, uh, you know, those memes, it'll show like Picard and he's saying engage, and then it'll show Cisco and he's saying commander launch torpedoes. That's interesting. Uh, I, I have to kind of take a nuanced view of it. I kind of can't see it as being like just purely badass or anything like that because uh, I'm not completely convinced that uh, Cisco is in the right here going after the Maquis. And, and I feel like he's a hard guy, like he's in a hard situation. And he did do something that won, 
uh, that, that won him the day, but uh, it, it didn't make me think, uh, oh, this is the guy I want on my side. It made me think, oh, um, boy, war can drive you to war crimes, can't it? <laughs> I mean, he didn't kill anyone. He just drove them off of the planet that they're not supposed to be on anyways. And then right, the Cardassians, right. they kind of get to swap planets, you know, like they're, they're using these very convenient ways of poisoning the planet. Like here, this is lethal to Cardassians, but not lethal to us. So the Cardassians have right. to leave. And then here it's right. like, oh, this is lethal to everyone but the Cardassians. So they can come live here right if, if not committing a war crime in the you know in, in, in a truly horrific sense he at the very least essentially adopted the tactics of the maquis which mm-hmm. you know arguably reduces his uh you know uh his moral perspective as, as far as that goes like he's he has branded this guy as the enemy and then he adopts his tactics to win uh it is like it's it's a cool moment uh, but it's also kind of messed up <laughs> I don't know. I I loved it. I I thought it was great though. I also noticed this mu- the this I, I always kind of pay attention to music, and you know most of the next generation and onward era stuff hasn't uh, until I guess to modern times hasn't you know they want they 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 wanted more subdued music that was part of uh, was it Rodberry's thing right Rick Berman's. Rick, Rick Berman. He wanted okay. the music to be wallpaper. Right, and it was a lot of times, but there was some really good stuff in this. The scene, um, two scenes that that uh, jumped out for me. Um, let's see, I jot it down. Uh, one was the, the the sort of grim spiraling music when Cisco, when he's taken off the assignment, it's just like getting lower and lower, and it's like really intense. And then also when they uh, launch the uh, da- defiant, the damaged defiant to bring in Edd- Eddington. There's this pretty, you know, pretty energetic music. Oh, yeah, that was cool. All that stuff with, uh, you know, Nog on board shouting out orders and them having to do a lot more background chatter to keep things going because, you know, so many systems were down. Right. It was it was such a like an energetic presentation of it that it almost made me wish that that was just the norm. It's, you know, it feels much more like a military enterprise. And I, I've talked about, uh, you know, I, I don't want Trek to feel too military at times, but, you know, I watched i've watched so many or a military the, starship not it's not it's yeah. not defiant not the enterprise <laughs> i mean enterprise in the uh other sense of that's the what word. the, the pack leads do that in lower decks they call they call like every federation ship they always like it's the enterprise look there's another <laughs> enterprise i'm like dave does that all the time like voyager cerritos discovery like they're all enterprise down <laughs> yeah that that's not how i meant enterprise i know but you do I do meant that. it as an undertaking motherfucker <laughs> uh anyway but yeah like uh it's one of those things where I was like, man, this music is this is this presentation is really effective. It is both cool and also kind of not what I want on this, in Starfleet, but it felt right for that moment. Well, yeah, they they had to be like a more primitive ship. You know, half their systems were down. So yeah, and it's funny because they do that and they're all geared up and like, let's go kick some ass, and then Eddington kicks their ass again. And it, yeah, it's so embarrassing when you, your ship has to get towed back to the station. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, Captain Sanders on on. Uh, his ship, the uh, the Malinche, like they they get their ass kicked by Eddington too. So it's kind of like, yeah. see, he's not that easy to deal with. So. I, I looked up that name Malinche to see if it had any special meaning. Do you know about this fathering? Yeah, it's uh, Aztec Indians. Yeah, uh, it's related to a woman who I think she was like uh, an Aztec woman who became the lover of Cortez. Yes. And at a quick glance, it looked like she had like is broadly considered in some places to have she's sold a out the Aztecs. Yeah. yeah, she's she's a traitor, and uh, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting. <laughs> I was like, maybe Starfleet's not their their best naming choice there. <laughs> well, maybe there's like another cool Malinche at some point between now and the 24th maybe century. Maybe so. Maybe so. Although I think they meant it more, uh, you know, to, to 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 probably reflect maybe at least a little bit poorly on the guy who takes the job from Cisco or or the moral ambiguity of this. Episode. I, I think it was just, I don't know. it was just kind of talking about Eddington as as like the traitor. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Although the, the, it's it's interesting that it wasn't his ship. Though. 
Uh, he gets he gets the heroic shit, but of course that's that's built into the story. Anyway, I love the episode, yeah. really good. Yeah. Now Eddington is off in prison, but as Garrick and Cassidy Yates have proven, that doesn't mean that you're off the show just because you get sent to prison. <laughs> we'll move on to the uh, the next the next two episodes are a two parter, but in Purgatory's Shadow and by Inferno's Light, they were both written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Uh, in Purgatory's Shadow is directed by Gabriel Beaumont, and by Inferno's Light was directed by les landu but uh yeah this is uh the pivotal episodes uh the the, the synopses on them are um in order to ward off a dominion invasion cisco must close the wormhole leaving Worf and garrick stranded in a jim hadar internment camp on the other side and uh the klingons join the federation's fight against the dominion as goldicott reveals his self-serving allegiance he basically betrays the entire alpha quadrant Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I was like, man, Goldicott, what a jerk. He's not treating his daughter with respect. He's trying to manipulate her life. Uh, this guy, you know, for all the times that I can sometimes respect and like him, uh, he's a big jerk. Oh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, that was just the start of his betrayals. Uh, you know, Father A, by the way, I didn't know this was going to be a two-parter. Uh, I, I did see that there was, like, some titles that looked similar. Right. Uh, or, like, they had a thematic through line. But I didn't know this was going to be a two-parter. And I, I, I where, whereas on many series, I actually don't kind of like the multi-part episodes. Deep Space Nine almost always comes through for me. And this was another case of coming through big time. So it was a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, and I know you don't like to know when they're two-parters, so I don't. I never tell you ahead of time. It's always appreciated. But did you know that the, the Cardassians were going to team up with, with the Dominion? Did you know that this thing was... Nope. If it had been told to me, I either uh, willfully forgot it or just forgot it, forgot it. Um, so I, I was completely shocked by that. Because this, this <laughs> blew my mind as a kid when I saw this back in uh, back in 97. And it is it is a huge event in, in the show. The show the show is very different in a lot of ways going going forward past this. It was a big game changing event. And, and it kind of helps. Solidify... You know, you say that, but it's funny. The next ep- uh, next episode after the two parter is kind of a self-contained episode that's a little bit more, you know, it's a uh, done in one episode monster of the week sure kind yeah of they, they never stopped doing those in deep space nine but but like the big big, big plot status stuff, quo I the, the 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 bigger status quo of the show is is very different uh now with the, the dominion having a presence within the alpha quadrant it's another case of like me thinking like oh you know i like one of the things i like best about deep space nine is the sort of the, the level of sort of intelligence on the part of the antagonists and that's always included Ducat. The notion that, you know, like him selling them out, it's one of those things where I like it because you look back and you say, it makes sense. <laughs> it's <laughs> It feels like the, the right play for him and the Cardassians right. based on their history. Right. You got to think like with Ducat, you know, the situation he's in, he sided with the civilians who overthrew the military government in the Cardassian Union. You know, they, they he's basically, I guess, like the... Uh, I don't know, a joint chief of, of staff or something, or secretary of defense. He was like the military advisor to the, to the council. And then, you know, he lost his position when he spared his half Bajoran daughter. And then he ended up, you know, like going rogue fighting the Klingons, but the Klingons have just like, so decimated the Cardassians. And then, you know, the dominion right in, they, they're like Xerxes in, uh, in 300, you know, making the offer to, to Leonidas, like, like instead of fighting us, why don't you join us and, you know, and help us go conquer Greece in 300. You know, they tell Leonidas like, you know, we'll make you like the warlord of all Greece. As long as, as long as you'll team up with us, with, with the Persians, you know, Leonidas told King Xerxes to go fuck himself basically. But Gold Dukat says, Oh yeah, you're going to restore the Cardassian people, get all of our territory back. You're going to put me like back on the throne. Uh, yeah sign me up i'll totally i'll totally make this deal with the devil (laughs) 
Yeah, that was fantastic. I also liked, I mean, the way it kicks off is interesting. The, the signal from, from Tane to Garrick. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it, it's it's funny because you know you know how I thought that Tane was like uh, a a stealth hinted at but strongly hinted at lover of Garrick originally. It's funny how many things still work that way in the dialogue if if you want it to. I yes, I know it's his dad. It's creepy, but uh, but it's like th that sort of uh, sense of loss of somebody who was close to you almost works as if it was a lover too. Anyway, but b bigger point is uh, you know there's there's so much stuff going on. There's stuff with Zial uh, who. I didn't love her being close to Garrick, but I do – the portrayal of it is good. Garrick, that, that actor, is Andrew Robinson. That's funny. I, I, I love the way that they play that because Garrick seems like so like not interested in a romantic relationship with her where she's just like yeah. – I just you're like the only other Cardassian dude ever so in my life so I'm really attracted to you. Yeah. Do, do you do you buy into it? Do you buy his interest in her? Because he, he, does, like, he doesn't have interest in her. He's But he promises it, her that he's going to come back. He, that's a pretty He doesn't have a romantic. A he doesn't romantic. he doesn't have a romantic and he 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 cares about her as like like this and and maybe because I'm I'm I know things from like future episodes but like sure. he like he's not like he doesn't see her as like a as a romantic. Does he have more of a paternal sort of protectiveness to her? Yeah, I think he's say? just you know kind of as just like as a friend or as just some. But like the, the, all, all their scenes together, she's kind of like always like lovey dovey around him, and he's just kind of like, oh yeah, this is kind of awkward. I'm I'm not as into this as you are. When he says that when he promises to return to her uh -huh. or whatever, do you think that's him just saying what he needs to say in the moment? Do you think that's no? Him I think he really he... does. Like yeah, like oh, I promised her like I would come back. Like I I think as like a friend, but I'm. Just, Saying like and, and the way and and especially now hearing Andy Robinson talk about how you know he played Garrick as as gay but yeah I think mm -hmm. uh, I think yeah he's like you know like I'm tr I'm trying to get back to like that that young girl that I want to watch over but I don't think he's like oh like I'm in love with this uh, right this woman who like I'm old enough to like be her dad uh, I... <laughs> that's one of those weird things oh, too there this is this is the final recasting of Zial by the way they the, this actor they have playing her now they actually keep her through the rest of the She'll show. She'll be on board. So, yes. Incidentally, speaking of Garrick, I want to uh, compliment his trolling of Worf about wanting to join Starfleet. Uh, that was just cruel yeah. and funny. <laughs> you know he's joking when he's like, perhaps I should just enter Starfleet as a commander. Tell them that you would love to serve under me. <laughs> that was like when Worf knew he was joking. But yeah, yeah, he goes on this mission with Worf, so it's kind of cool putting the two of them together. The changeling Bashir tries to stop him at the beginning of the episode, which makes sense. Yeah. You know, the changeling wouldn't want him nosing around in the, the Gamma Quadrant when they're about to send their, their ships over. What about the, the internment camp? Let's talk about like the stuff there. We have uh, some prisoners. I have to quick say, by the way, it's it's just a cool visual. I thought the asteroid base looked neat every time they showed it. Uh, we we get more world building. We kind of get to see more like Dominion culture and, and Jim Hadar culture. You know they have like their their fighting pit. Like this is what they do when like they're just standing around bored guarding a prison. Is they they study their enemies and they fight them. And and you get to see Worf be like Rocky and just you know like he he won't go down and keeps fighting. He fights all the mm -hmm. the Jim Hadar all the way up to like the Jim Hadar first. Yeah, he, to the big boss. Yeah, and I love like the big like boss fight with them where the the guy is is like uh. You know, I, I refuse to kill him. I can I can fight him, but I can't break him. And and so like that Jim Hadar, like just Worf fought so valiantly that like 
it spark- he changed how that guy his worldview. Yeah, it sparked like this shred of decency in this Jim Hadar's yeah. heart. I loved it. And then you see the Dominion reaction to that. The, the Dominion reaction to that when the the Vorda's like, okay, shoot them both. Yeah, and that, and that yeah. guy's de- you know Worf luckily got beamed out kind of conveniently. It was, but it was sure it's a little bit of the it's a little bit of one of those last minute saves right, for a right. show that's oftentimes was more like Game of Thrones in the sense that yeah we don't do last minute escapes until like the last season of Game of Thrones in which case they did do some yeah. last minute escapes. But anyway, uh, yeah, I loved it because they Worf made a point. He's like the Dominion don't fight with honor or whatever. They don't have any sense of honor about who they are. And yeah, that the notion that uh, and 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 by the way, Mike Michael Dorn did a great job portraying both Worf's, you know, exhaustion and, and the kind of the pain he was dealing with, as well as his utter implacability, his, you know, that he would, he would basically, he would go ahead and die. But, but there's a point where Worf is like, he is actually, I think, I take that back. He gets pissed at like the Klingons kind of code a little bit too, when he says, what is the point of any of this if it isn't getting us off the, off the ship, uh, you're off the, the, the prison. Um, but yes, he does like the, the big arc is that he, yeah, that, that this this Dominion commander is like, wow, I I've changed how I think about him. <laughs> uh, we also get the introduction to to real Martok. This is not a ch- changeling. He's always been a changeling before. This is the first time we have the the real dude. And he is just one of the coolest Klingons, in my opinion. Uh, I really loved this as a kid because I was so into, like, Worf and, you know, Klingon stuff and having to see Worf fight. But I was like, oh, like, this Martok dude is really cool, too. He's he's friendlier than a lot of Klingons. You know, they can come off as, like, kind of abrasive. But he's, like, you're talking about, like, Tane and Garrick. I guess he's kind of, you know, like, being finding, like, these comrades in, in prison. He's like, yes, uh, Cardassians right. are clever people, aren't they? And then, you know, like... Yeah, he has, he has compliments for him and compliments for Worf. Yeah. He's like... When we, he's like, when you, um, he's like, they're going to write songs. About <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to commission a song uh, and, and there'll be a verse for you, Dr. Bashir, the, the healer who mended the warrior's wounds. So, uh-huh. so yeah, he's, he's a cool dude. Um, I love the, the ending. He's going to stay on the station. So we have another Klingon on, on the station now with, with Martok. Yeah. There, there's a permanent Klingon presence on the station uh, as of now. Yep. I liked all that stuff. Those deep space nines, big reveals tend to always be very satisfying to me. Uh, and by the way, like for that second episode, I'm a big, one of my, you know, favorite kind of, I, I, I call it a guy movie because that's kind of just how I thought about it at the time. It's just a good movie, but it is kind of a guy movie. The great escape. I love prison break stories and, and you know, th- there's wasn't quite a prison break, but, but it's, as, it's a version of it. Uh, where they're trying to send a signal and just buy time and, you know, do all this stuff. And I, I love, like, Shawshank Redemption and uh, Escape from Alcatraz, stuff like that. So, so yeah, that was a, it was, it was a winner of a uh, trope to, to build the story around for me. Yeah, and, and they, they kind of all have to do stuff. You know, Garrick having to deal with his claustrophobia, which, which comes up again is his claustrophobia. That's not just like a one-time thing. Hmm. Um, that's interesting i thought it might be a one-time thing yeah um bashir you know not only having to do like cool doctor stuff but also like when they're fighting the guards the way that bashir like cuts that that one jim hadar's uh tube that mm-hmm. ketracel white tube it's like oh look yeah. like the doctor did like the like the the calculated you know surgical precision strike you know that's kind of cool tane almost almost admitting his love for it. he can't do he can't bring himself to do it all he can say is like i was proud yeah. of you that that day that you kept getting on the riding hound i was I was very proud of yeah. that day. Apparently the only day they were ever father and son. Yeah, man. I, I like when <laughs> I like when Deep Space Nine is cruel. Mm. And that's a pretty cruel scene. It sort of redoubles, I guess, Garrick's energy for a moment, because isn't like afterwards I think he's like, We're getting out of here now or whatever. Yeah, like now that now that his business is done. But it's lost it was also a scene where I was like, Man, that's kinda crushing mm. is that like this was the opportunity for emotional catharsis and it's denied. denied. But it's also 
what he threw was like the best he could at, you know, on some level, I guess Garrett kind of appreciated that. Yeah. Cause this guy is, he's been like, you know, the head of the KGB, the head of the CIA, whatever, like he, all his life, like he denied himself, like any, he, he can't have any weaknesses. He can't have any, any vulnerabilities. Well, and yeah. So the he, last things he's requesting of Garrick isn't, it's like, you know, yeah. did, did I get all my enemies that is the revenge complete? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, I, I somehow rewired this life support system into a communicator to contact the station to bring you here just so I could, my dying request could be for you to get revenge <laughs> against the dominion on, on my behalf. But but you know Garrick agrees to it. I, I guess he says like, well you know, ask me as as father to a son. Right. And I, but yeah, so it seems you know Garrick might have a renewed interest. He's kind of always been very anti Dominion, but uh, perhaps especially especially now. All the all the prison stuff was cool, and the uh, stuff with Bashir on on the station, what he does to the station, this kind of confused me when I first saw this way back when. But th- th- there was an idea that if the Dominion were ever going to invade the Alpha Quadrant. It, it would be easy to prevent because all DS9 had to do was uh, shoot a tachyon beam or whatever at, at the wormhole. They could permanently collapse it. They could close the gateway permanently. But because of what the Bashir changed... Well, actually, didn't they, didn't they say that they could probably reinstate it? That there was a way to make it reversible? I thought that they indicated that. That, that's why, by the way, when they were bre- getting ready to do it, I thought they were gonna. I thought that was gonna be like a new status quo for a while. Yeah, and, instead, they just lose that ability. It's like, oh, n- not only did we not close it, but we've made it permanently open. We'll never <laughs> yeah. be able to close it now. Yeah, it's another one of those cases of showing how effective their enemies are. Yeah, and and the way that they they draw the the Klingon Starfleet and Romulan fleets all to the Bajoran system, so that they could they were they were gonna light the the sun uh, on Nova yeah. and and, it's a and big wipe plot. it all out. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh that's some pretty uh some pretty heavy duty planning. <laughs> but generally, their heavy duty plans like that have been going pretty well. They they've they've done their infiltration. They they took over you know the uh, Klingon Empire for a time. They've had a lot of big successes, I guess. Uh, the the thing that kind of bugs me is when Kira and Dax are talking about how, like, you're not supposed to go to warp within a solar system, which was established mm-hmm. in Star Trek The Motion Picture. But then we see Star Trek ignore that and, like, do it all the time. So I'm like, this is the only time anyone, I think, ever uh, adheres to that yeah. instead of ignoring it. But And by the way, is, is there anything, were there any repercussions? They're like, we have to just do it. And then, as I recall, like, it's like their ship doesn't, like, look like it's about to shake apart Yeah, it doesn't, like, go, it's not, like... In a wormhole with with Chekhov saying arm torpedo. <laughs> I guess they were just like it was risky. Yeah, it could have gone that's, bad. That's how it was By the way, did they did they say that there was some proto matter in that mix? I yes. always I always notice anytime DS Nine tips a hat to uh, TOS or or the TOS movies. You know, any any kind of it had both stuff. proto matter and uh, trilithium, which is what yep. uh, Malcolm McDowell was trying to use in Star Trek Generations to blow up stars. So, oh, wow, nice. That's a nice touch. Who is uh, Alexander Sadig's uncle? And the, so, so we got to see Malcolm McDowell try to blow up a son in Generations, and then here we see his nephew as this changeling mm-hmm. try to blow up a son. Uh, that's that's a beautiful uh, passing of the torch there. <laughs> but yeah, the Dominion are, are tricky. You know, they have those fake warp signatures. They're like, Where, "Where's the invasion?" And it's like, "Oh, we're, we're actually not even invading. We're just." But it shows the Dominion being so powerful. You know, the the, the Klingons are just kind of just marching all over Cardassian space. And then mm-hmm. the Dominion shows up and drives them all out. Galron is, has to retreat back to to the station. We get the the Kittimer Accords reinstated. So I like I like that. I I yeah. love Klingons, but I'm more of a fan of like I think it's more interesting when the Klingons are our friends and not our enemies. I mean, they make great bad guys too. But I, I think it's fun to right. see uh, Starfleet and Klingons working together. Yeah, well, you know, this is this is sort of one of those things we talked about. The difference between Star Trek and Star Wars sometimes is that. 
Star Wars or Star Trek seems to, uh, you know, evolve things, evolve the situations. And when the Federation is doing their best work, they manage to make allies out of their enemies. And it doesn't mean it's always like a perfect thing. Uh, it's it's it, that's the kind of realism that I that I like in it. There's a wonderful line from Galron I love. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole show. Uh, but it's when Galron says. Think of it. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bajor or mm. Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. Where the tides of fortune take us, no man can know. And then Cisco says, they're tricky, those tides. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's like kind of like an acknowledgement of like, yeah, like no one cared about like Deep Space Nine, but it's actually like the most important show right now. Like back when this came out, like Next Generation yeah. is off doing movies, Voyager is off in the Delta Quadrant where it doesn't like affect anything back home. It's like here's where like the real shit is going on. It's a it's a meta statement, yeah, about them. Oh, they mentioned first contact too, by the way. When 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 Cisco, you know, their their fleet is spread thin, and Cisco says part of that is the recent Borg attack. You know, when that that Borg cube goes to Earth at the beginning of Star Trek: First Contact, and it's just wiping ships out left and right. So Star Starfleet's still kind of you know recovering from that. Oh, makes sense. I wanted to mention real quick a few lines from uh, uh, Gold Ducat that stayed with me. Um, I loved when he's uh, talking to um, Kira uh, after the betrayal, and he says, you and I on the same side. It never quite seemed right, did it? <laughs> it's uh, it's just that's also a little bit of meta context about like, oh, man, yeah, was was it strange that he was allowed to kind of hang out on the station? That piece of shit. <laughs> but but I, I liked it. And I liked his speech to the uh, to the Cardassian people where, hmm. you know, it's like it's a propaganda speech and all that. And he's like, oh, the Dominion recognizes as the true leaders of the Alpha Quadrant. And he's making promises. He's talking about their future greatness. It's it's super nationalism stuff. It's. You know, it's the way people do. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so yeah, just good good job from uh, Ducat on, on that stuff as, as far as making me buy into his, his villainy and his self-interest and his nationalism. And I love, I love Ducat and Garrick hate each other so much. Like, remember when Garrick was going to go back to team up with Tane and rejoin the Obsidian Order? And one of the yeah. first things he says, way back, this is in season three. Uh, in the the die is cast, but one of, one of the first things he says to Tane is like, "There's this one goal. His name is Ducat. We need to take him out immediately. Let's let's kill him." And Tane's like, "Okay, yeah. that won't be a problem." Then here, when du- when Ducat is in power, he, you know they're like, "Free all of the Cardassian prisoners from the D- Dominion prison." Oh, except for <laughs> yeah. for you, Garrick. We have orders to, to murder you. Yep. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, it's uh, that's kind of like the equivalent of saying we don't consider you a Cardassian. Yeah, you are. Uh... You are uh, cast out. Garrick has faced a lot of that in his life. Yeah, Ducat would have, you know, put in a request to, to have him killed. And, and the reason, I think, the only reason why Ducat gets so mad at Zial here, because I think he legitimately does have, as twisted as he is, I think he he did have feelings for Zial. You know, he couldn't bring himself to kill her. I know that's a very low bar, but you know, he he couldn't bring himself to murder her in indiscretion in in, in season four. Um, I mm-hmm. I think the only you know he tries he pleads her to like leave the station here. I think the the only reason why he he kind of gives up on her is because like she is in love with 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 Garrick or wants to be friends with Garrick or whatever you know that relationship is. You know he he and he's so mm-hmm. egocentric. He's like Kira, you did this, you designed this on purpose just to to spite me. You know it's all it's always got to yeah. be about him. He's he's all about himself. But yeah, I right. I think that's the only reason why you know he tells Cisco at the end. You know like Zial made her choice is the fact that like. That just was such a personal betrayal to him. Like he, he can't. He, he probably would have been able to forgive anything else except for just something like, like betrayal. Like, well, right. We know he has a he has a, a creepy uh, uh, interest, romantic interest in Kira. Right. And I can see him probably like having you know, and I don't know if this maybe this is, happens later too, like wanting to extend some sort of peace offering 
to make him make her a concubine or something like that. But uh, but yeah, because he because the worst thing you can do is betray his self-interest. Yeah, that's that's off the table, at least at the moment. But he had a path at redemption, you know, like he seemed to care about his daughter. He cares about like what Kira thinks about him. Like if he could have just like gotten over his whole like um, superiority complex and having to you know, prove like the Cardassians are the greatest people and I'm the greatest Cardassian. Mm-hmm. If he could have gotten over all of that, he, he was in a position where he could have formed an alliance with the Federation, with Bajor. He probably could have done things to make amends for all of his terrible war crimes, could have like brought peace between like the Cardassians and the Klingons and ended that war and have like a united Alpha Quadrant to stand against the Dominion. And instead, you know, he sold all of that out because he wanted he wanted the option that was going to to reflect the the superiority and, and the entitlement is you know what he feels he's entitled to, like the position of power that he feels like he he deserves. It's always scary when a single person has that much uh, power in their hands when they can like uh, throw the fate of millions or billions uh, into the fire uh, over ego or. Yeah, or or just their own hyper hyper nationalism. Yeah, and this this episode goes a long way into why it's a good portrayal of it. Uh, it, it this episode goes a long way uh, into like why I and many other people you know consider Ducat the the best the best villain in the entire franchise. Yeah, uh, it, it's you know it's kind of hard for me to quite compare him. I've probably talked about this before to Khan, who kind of has a singular, very focused and really beautifully and intensely written story over just has, one episode. He has two stories. One movie. Um, <laughs> or actually yeah. three. He's, he's three uh, yeah. stories. One's an alternate. All right. But that's not what people are talking about <laughs> when they call Khan the best villain. Nobody's referencing that movie. But anyway, uh, but Dukat has a, has a very unique thing is they, they made him the, a long term villain. And he's a long term villain that works better than any other villain that they've they've had and that any other attempts they've made to do the same. Well, uh, let's move on to our next episode, uh, which is it is a, a more lighthearted episode after all the uh, the big intensity. Uh, but this is season five, episode 16. Be- sorry, before you go into that, I'm going to just quick say one fun, funny line from the previous episode. I just want to mention it from Dax when Quark is worried about the Dominion potentially occupying DS9 and him having, you know, a bunch it's of like Zial. Sexless... I know what you're going to say, but it's from Zial, not Dax. Oh, is, is it Zial? Is it? Yeah. About the Vorda? Yeah. Okay. I thought it was no, it's Dax. I I promise you, it's Zeal. Okay. Oh yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. Now that I she was eating it. asparagus with yamek sauce. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and she says that uh, the Vorda could be glutinous, alcoholic sex maniacs. Yeah. <laughs> that's her her, her pick me up to to him. So yes, I will use that to transition into uh, an episode with some lighter stuff in it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Dr. Bashir, I presume, teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, story by Jimmy Diggs, directed by David Livingston. Dr. Zimmerman chooses Bashir as the model for the holographic doctor program, unaware that it will cause Bashir anguish and his father's sacrifice. Uh, Dave, this is an episode that I was always scared would get spoiled for you. The reveal that Dr. Bashir, like Khan we were just talking about, is a genetically enhanced augment. I was so nervous that, like, during all the talk of La'an Noonien Singh on Strange New World, people <laughs> would make comparisons to Bashir. Uh, did, did we did we make it to this episode without you finding out about that? Was that something you knew? It's something I knew. Oh. Um, I, unfortunately, I, I knew it, but I kind of knew it in the back of my head. It was like one of those things where I wasn't thinking about it most of the time. I didn't know any context for it. I didn't know what the genetic engineering meant. But sometime over the last year or two, I had bumped into it. and then. 
I uh, actually no, I was gonna say that this is not the, uh, the the secret I learned. I learned the thing about the the changeling, right? Uh, actually, ahead of time. But this one, I I didn't, I hadn't been reminded of. So it was kind of like I never knew when it was gonna surface. I think when he said, uh, "Oh, you know, please don't involve my parents in this deal." Oh, I was like, "Ah, right, this is the thing with it." I fig I figured it out then. But uh, it, it's still, it's still. I guess I'd say it still worked as a reveal pretty well for me that hadn't been so spoiled where I was like, you know, anticipating every, oh. you know, turn. Or I've, I've like been that. tiptoeing around this for years because I, I never wanted to mention it, <laughs> but I guess I, I didn't have to worry about it that much. But uh, I don't know exactly when I learned about it. It could have been from from comments in our responses. It could have been a comic I read that was like a Deep Space Nine comic that just casually mentioned that he had some genetic engineering, but uh, like in a way, I was like, I, I guess because he's never doing big Superman stuff, you know, he's never oh, doing con he? stuff, picking up a guy. But, you know, he does. He doesn't have like that level of strength, but he does a lot of superhuman stuff over the course of the show. And and this was this was kind of a last minute idea. This is a retcon, but it fits in so perfect. Like if you, yeah, I read a thing where Ron Moore or somebody was talking about that and saying that it's kind of answered a lot of things, right? But, and I think that's neat. I like that kind of stuff that where uh, you know a retcon that fits and adds to you know builds to the tapestry of a character or a story. But you you know like in other words. I didn't see him using Khan's strength in particular. Uh, you know, he seemed to be pushing himself the same way a lot of Starfleet doctors did, McCoy and Crusher, you know, like, but, but yeah, so like when you start, like, if you look at certain scenes, they don't all add up. And that was kind of a nice way to explain it. I'm usually mentally perfectly able to say, oh yeah, there's a little incongruity between various writers versions. No big deal. But yeah, that's neat when you can find something that works. Yeah, like the way that he was beating the shit out of O'Brien at racquetball, and then he started like letting O'Brien win. O'Brien was like, "Wait a minute, why are you letting me win? I know you're letting me win." And he says, "You know, right. I wanted." I thought he was just letting him win. Yeah, <laughs> and he he said like, "You know, I wanted to go pro, but instead like I became a doctor." Like, yeah, because like if you went pro, maybe that they would have exposed you at some point. You know, like why are you so good at racquetball? Or like in our man Bashir when. Uh, Garrick is like, I'm just, I just want to end the Hollow Sweet program and get out of here. Who cares if these other people live or die? And then Bashir like shoots him, where like the bullet just grazes across his neck, and like doesn't doesn't mm -hmm. injure Garrick, which is like kind of like a warning shot. And and then Garrick is like, how the hell did you you know shoot that accurately? And Bashir just says something like, how do you know I wasn't aiming to kill you? But it's like, oh yeah, this is the guy who can do like the triple bullseye at the end of the episode, so he has like the good aim in the uh, the episode with Jake. Um, nor the battle to the to the strong when he runs out to get the generator and the runabout with Jake. You know, they, they make a big deal. Like, it'll take two people to drag this generator back into the cave. And then later, they're like, somehow that, that doctor got the generator here by himself. Right. But yeah, but yeah, like, he doesn't have, like, the con level of strength. He does have, like, some physical capabilities. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's a neat thing I imagine for them to play around with afterwards. I don't know how much they pay attention to it. Do they pay attention to it? Yeah, yeah. They, you can it, spoil it comes that. up a lot. I, th I think this was kind of hard on Alexander Sadig because, like, first of all, like, I think he kind of felt betrayed, like, oh, I'm a changeling now. Like, I wish you had told me I hadn't been playing that. Or like, now he's like, oh, I'm I'm genetically enhanced and have been all along. Like, I wish you had told me I hadn't been playing that. So I, a lot of actors get kind of frustrated with stuff like that. But Sure. Although arguably the changelings were so good at their job <laughs> that they, you know, I, I actually expected once I knew about it, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those stories where he says something he shouldn't know. And they're like, you know, Brian will be like, wait a minute. But I was like, no, no, man, he he didn't get busted until he was like seconds from committing his plan. Right. Uh, so. Uh, so, yeah, like I, I, I get why Siddig would would feel that way, of course. Um, but 
yeah, the changelings were supposed to be really damn good at their job. The, the meat of this episode to me is like the stuff with his parents, especially his his dad, Richard, and like those conversations when they're they're yelling at each other. I, I kind of buy into all those characters' perspectives. Like I, I get, you know, Bashir being like, you know, you just decided I was a failure. Like maybe I could have had like a happy life. You know, we were in the Federation after all. It's not like I would ever, you know, have had to, to, right. to want for anything. Uh, all of my this needs is sort of very relevant to to questions that we have now. I mean, like I, I see these questions. Uh, and debates going on, and you know, especially in discussions about autism, uh, just among other things. But like, you could you could apply it to so many different things, and uh, you know, a, a, a question of, <laughs> how, yeah, how much you know, are, are you willing to work with that and and say that is who that person is, uh, and not oh, this person needs to be fixed. Yeah, a lot of the things like his mom is saying, like, uh, you know, you you don't understand like how guilty we we felt, you know, like did we not do enough for you? Is it something I did wrong during the pregnancy? Like, I have a I have a uncle who has a uh, he has an autistic son who's I don't I don't know what the right I don't know if you, you would say like severe autism, but I mean like he's like completely non vocal. Okay. Um, he's like like very very uh, very dependent, but I mean like he's he's a happy kid, like he's he's happier than how old is he now? Like. 15 he's, he's happier than most 15s like 15 year olds mm-hmm. i know so like but i, I know like uh, his parents always feel you know they, they've they've put him on like a bunch of like weird diets and stuff tried to like everything like help him or like maybe like they even get into you know some weird pseudoscience stuff at times and have you know weird opinions on vaccines but it it, it all comes from like a concern of like like our kid you know ha- has all these like disadvantages you know what can we do to let's let's put so much yeah. effort into doing everything we can uh, to help them but uh yeah so I, I think about that when i watch this what was interesting to me about this episode is as i'm watching it it's the first time i've seen it and i don't know that that's going to be the case until the end mostly you kind of find out negative things about his parents as it builds <laughs> by the way just a quick aside i really like seeing robert picardo of course he's always a fun shot in the arm but I, i'm a little like in some ways i ended up a little like i in the comments thomas hill who i think i think he was talking about this episode said he liked but didn't love it it struck me that this episode was like i, I was never a big fan of the loaxana troy episodes mm-hmm. she's just she, she usually was more frustration than she was you know a sympathetic character to yeah, me she, she's a bit much. Uh, with, She's a bit much, with the occasional exception. This was an episode that was felt more like what I kind of wanted her episodes mm. to be, where there was this kind of cathartic release at the end. The parents were able to kind of stand, ultimately do right by their kid, and, and do the best they could, and, and you know be flawed, but 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 try do do this thing. And I didn't expect that was going to happen along the way. I thought this was going to be kind of an episode where maybe he made some grudging peace with them, but he was, you know, it was going to be kind of like, ugh. Oh, those parents, man, they're they're a problem. <laughs> yeah. So I really liked I liked the ending quite a bit. It almost it kind of turned the episode around for me. His dad is going to go to the uh, New Zealand prison that we saw Tom Paris in in the beginning of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, is, is it really? Is is it the same place? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how many I don't know how many penal colonies are in New Zealand in the 24th century. I would assume just the one. Oh, that's it. I I, I really didn't pay attention to location or anything on that. But they they've certainly had already done a few things. You know, they'd mentioned the Badlands that would you know kick off Voyager and uh you know i noticed that uh, like chakotay's ship is the valjean and so i was like oh right this completely ties in it's a homage to uh eddington's you know kind of mythology that that's neat i I was anyway i've been noticing little connections to voyager like that and and with of course robert picardo being on the show and replacing the for sure emh (laughs) uh, we got that that little gag moment where the mach 1 emh is scoffing at bashir saying please state the nature of the medical emergency like well that's not very original (laughs) <laughs> but they also um, show the hollow communicator here. It's the last we see of it. Uh, just uh, they decided it just didn't work. You couldn't really tell if the you know the person was there on on the set or if right. they were, like beaming. They couldn't in. make them trans 
if they were transparent, it would probably have gone a long way. <laughs> yeah, you have to show it, like, glitch out every now and then to remind you it's a hologram. Uh, they have the, the B story here, though, with Lita. And uh, with with Doctor Zimmerman pursuing her, and then of course her choosing Rom at the. I love that moment. The the what what's that noise? It's getting louder. What is this? And it's Rom going wait <laughs> as he's you know running to the docking ring. I have to say, like, unfortunately, this like I, I I love Rom overall as a character, but like I I thought this was almost a little this was a little too sticky for me. His it, it kind of reminded me of like the frustration of watching. Uh, there was some old episode of Happy Days where I think I've even mentioned this before, where like Fonzie couldn't apologize; it just wasn't in him to do it, and he like literally couldn't make the words happen. And I, like I felt like Rom's sort of difficulties, you know, saying anything to Lita was a little I feel like funky it's like that. A bit more real. Like a lot of people have a hard time like uh, like taking that risk when you tell someone you're romantically interested in. Them. Right. It's it's pretty universal that that basic thing. It's only I think their portrayal was a little campy. Uh, How shitty is did... Quark though? Because Quark knows that Lita is into Rom. He, Lita said oh, that on Ryza. She's like, uh, yeah, I'm breaking up with Julian and I actually like, I want to hook up with your brother. So he knows, and he's still telling, he's like, ah, you're wasting your time. Forget about her. Remember what happened with Nog's mother? Like what a shitty asshole thing to do. It's true. Uh, you know, th- I-, I thought about this, of course, in this episode and uh, the the final one we'll talk about uh, is like Quark. They they both want him to be a lovable and, and sometimes even a uh, bad guy with a, like skeevy dude with a heart of gold. And then they sometimes want to portray him as kind of unrepentantly shitty. And yeah, that's 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 horrible. I mean, he was thinking about maybe possibly, you know, uh, rolling with killing millions in the in a few episodes. But yeah, like turning his back uh, on his uh, brother. That's 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 really messed up. <laughs> that's, it is funny how we think about those things. Uh, I did, by the way, I did crack up, though, when he said when she's like, she's like, do you have something to say to me or whatever? And he's like. Bye. <laughs> That's, uh, the, the delivery yeah, on that like she's great. trying hard like when she's like do i have yeah. any reason to remain on the station like at that point like, i like yeah. you know like you know like you have the option to like ask him out on a date or something like you you know it's true it's true they were still a little bit into 90s tropes there uh yeah and you know honestly that's where i think it falls a little bit apart is i think a lot of people when they have trouble like asking out a girl and like you know, or you don't pick up on signals uh or whatever i i get it up until the point where it's like as obvious as she was being <laughs> Uh, you know, I felt like, oh, that's almost kind of too too heavy-handed when she's like, gee, I just sure wish someone else would ask me out, wink, wink. And I'm like, uh, like, eh, I, mean, I feel it, like it, you should if, get it. If anything else, she could do the junior high thing and go tell uh, go tell Chief O'Brien. Be like, I really like your friend Rom. Will you tell him that I really like him? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. do that technique. I actually would have been, I would have kind of liked seeing O'Brien have to be forced into that role. I think that'd be pretty good. And he'd be like. Okay. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got his hands full with the baby. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of O'Brien, I like that that little tag at the end of like, oh, well, how are we going to shoot darts now? And it's like, oh, well, uh, I'll throw from here and you'll throw from way back here. And if that doesn't work, we'll try a blindfold. Yeah. I like that they were able to uh, uh, adjust their uh, adjust their hangout time uh, to, to meet the new situation. And it wasn't like uh, something where it's like, Oh, I guess we can't. Uh, I guess we can't hang out and do darts and stuff anymore. I'm like, yeah, that's good. That's good. Work with, work with the new new facts you learn about your friend. Uh, that's 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 being a good bro. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, the the next episode. We got two more to talk about okay. real quick. Uh, this next one is season five, episode seventeen, a simple investigation, written by Renee Echeverria and directed by John Kretschmer. Dave, I would. I- I was thinking that you would really like this episode, but I, sometimes I call it wrong. Like, was I right or wrong? Uh, wrong. Okay. 
Uh, let's see. So this is... Um... Oh, the, I'll, I'll read the synopsis, but it's... Yeah, yeah, hit, hit me with it. Odo falls in love with a woman searching for information that ultimately will endanger her life and make their relationship impossible. Right. It's it's one of those episodes where I actually liked uh, notable parts of it. I thought that sometimes when they kind of uh, do the noir stuff that they're a little too on the nose. Like, it felt like too much like she was playing him, like in a traditional noir way. Uh, even though they did have, like, some twists to come on that. But I also like some of the developments. I like Odo getting his moment. I like I like that they actually spent so much time showing them talking in bed and stuff like that. I like those kind of relatable moments and kind of – it was kind of sweet. I, I liked I liked some of the, the trip, I guess I'd say. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, I always like hearing the Orion Syndicate. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you they would be coming back, so we have we have more yeah. Orion Syndicate. I like that the episode opened with like those those two hitmen uh, ki- yeah. killing their target on accident, and like I don't know, kind of I thought they were like believably like dumb. They weren't like like goofus goofuses. Like you could still take them seriously, yeah. but yeah, like I agree. Like yeah, they seemed like guys that probably like yeah, they turned to a life of crime at some point. They, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They were they 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 they're effective. They're kind of scary in the sense yeah. that. You know that they're probably going to carry out any order that's given to them, but they're a little bit amusing to watch eating sandwiches and shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the Hasperat, which is really like a turkey wrap. <laughs> is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. I thought there was there's uh, sometimes I did like the noir dialogue where uh, she's like uh, she's like, oh, am I to, supposed to think you're doing this out of the goodness of your heart? And he's like, very, he kind of takes the, the literal. I don't have a heart. And she's like, you could have fooled me. And I was like, oh, that's that's kind of sweet. That's 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 a good bit. And we get our James Bond Holly Sweet program back very briefly when Odo has to go ask uh, Julian Bashir for for dating advice. He kicks up. <laughs> yeah. L- Lady wants some more was the name of that Bond girl. Uh, but, yeah, they, they, they kick <laughs> I, her I out of the that. limo. And... Yeah, I actually liked the um, a attempting to uh, line up the schedule for for the holodeck and stuff like that. Yeah. Couldn't help but remind me of role playing game yeah. uh, stuff. But any, I guess, is suppose adults trying to get together. Yeah, adults who uh, play like like D and D and other like role playing game type sure. things. It's hard to schedule. It's like a joke in that community. <laughs> it's like a it's it's impossible to schedule. Totally. Uh, and so I liked, and then I liked the portrayal of the mid holodeck interruptions. I loved seeing O'Brien back as what was it Falcon? Yeah, His card trouble, Mister Bashir. Oh hi, Odo. Yeah, he was uh, having he was having some fun with it. I, uh, after having him gri- griping about it early on, like, ah, do I have to play Falcon again? I want to be a good guy. And then it looked like he was having fun with it. <laughs> but I thought you would like the uh, the Odo in bed stuff. Like his, I I think it's really interesting. Like seeing s- seeing him kind of like exploring intimacy. You know, he had been reading about this when he was a solid. He was like, okay, well yeah. maybe I want to try my hand at romance. And then he gets rechangelinified. And he's like, oh, I guess, uh, I, you know, I guess I lost that opportunity. But it's like, oh, no, I'm actually, uh, I, I can still make love to this woman as a changeling. Let's let's experiment with that. And yep. I don't know. I thought I thought it was treated very, very maturely. I, it, it feels like very adult to me. And I also felt like I, I liked that the crew, although I don't like them kind of gossiping and spreading <laughs> stuff around about him. But that, I liked that, that was realistic, kind of all... though. That felt that felt real. <laughs> I felt like they were doing a good job backing the backing his play. And I liked, you know, I, I don't know if it was this episode or previous one where Kira said, uh, well, she's like, she, he's like, he's like, oh, uh, love is for solids or whatever. And she's like, you're a solid 18 hours a day. Uh, yeah. I thought that was a really sweet thing. And yeah, I, I think this was one of their more mature portrayals of it. There was like really, there was no gag really about it other than like when you hear his changeling sound uh, <laughs> as he's doing something below decks yeah, with her. You, it you, sounds you can't like. see what his other hand is doing. <laughs> That's dirty, Deep Space Nine. Take take that to the Vulcan Love Slave programs. 
But uh, I like the scene with with Kira when he he's staring at his reflection in those cargo containers, and Kira's like, "Odo, what are you doing?" And, and he's like, "Well, this woman told me I have bedroom eyes. I'm trying to figure out if." you know, what she was talking about. And Kira's, I like that she's, like, very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and you know, it's, it's interesting that the reflection thing comes up in the next episode, too. Quark does that thing where he pauses to look at his own reflection. Uh, yeah, he also has prophetic dreams, like Cisco. Uh, that made yeah. me think of you, because I know that you you hate that. But I kind of like the uh, the backstory, like, this Orion dude dream sounds like a a real nasty piece of work. They make out, they, 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 man, they, just the way they talk about the Orion Syndicate makes them scarier than they had been, I don't know, ever. Uh, even in the original Star Trek, they weren't made out to be that threatening. They don't bring them up that often. Yeah. I, it's it's sad to me that we don't get to see some Orions on Deep Space Nine, but they were trying their best just to build them up with, you know, backstory yeah, stuff. Yeah, this is like Rick Berman was against those TOS aliens. He's like, I don't want to see a Tellarite. I don't want to see an Endorian. I don't want to see an Orion. Uh, like, like, you know what you can do? Like, show a Bolian. How about we have, like, a, a blue Bolian? Like, okay, you can have blue people, but not green people for some reason. Okay, Rick. Until we get to Enterprise, and they tried to make up for it. But yeah, the, the Idanian people, they were kind of, just for this episode, they've never appeared in anything before or after this. But, yeah, like, the Idanian security, they were putting in, like, a lot of effort. You know, send this this woman in undercover like this, this dangerous mission to bring this dude down. And I, I, I buy into, like, that tragedy at the end. It's very hard in, in television to have a believable love story of like oh these two people will meet meet each other and fall in love over the course of 45 minutes but uh, i I thought it was kind of believe especially you know if you're young and naive like odo you know you kind of always fall hard for your first love and because they i think because they portrayed their sort of a post-coital scene uh, as like they portrayed it so well that i think they did a pretty convincing job i thought it was going to be one of those and this is you know this is where the episode also did kind of win me over in at least parts parts of for sure. I thought it was going to be one of those where she just didn't have any memory of him whatsoever, and he would just be kind of like, I guess, you know, I should never have even tried. And instead, it's like, no, there was a connection, yeah, it, and she remembers the connection. Yeah, I like that he gets, when that happens. He gets a little bit of, of, I guess, payoff at the end when she's like, you know, she was real, and you loved her, and in her own way, like, in some in some weird way, like, she loved you, too. But yep. sorry, I got a husband, gotta go, you'll never see me again, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, for done in one episodes, that's sometimes what the, the what you got to work with. So, uh, like uh, like I said, I liked parts of the episode. Mm. I think it was okay. just that uh, some of the noir tropes just you know just didn't quite grab me. The, the other little thing in here, I think this is probably the last thing I want to bring up, but the the gag of Quark locking up the bar, you know, closing time, shutting everything down, and then like Morn, he's like, oh shit, Morn is still in here. <laughs> he's got like unlocked. He's like, Morn, get out of here, go home, we're closed. So <laughs> we know that like Morn is in there at breakfast, right? When we would see Rom in there, like getting his breakfast. So like he's just mm-hmm. like, when does Morn go to work? He's just like in the bar from like closing o- opening time to closing time. <laughs> you know, Maybe he, he has a work. job. He's he's a courier. Oh, so okay. I, I, guess, I don't know if he's like a. Is that supposed to be like a truck driver or like? I wonder if he he's doing, a courier but... who's so good he can take just select jobs, or is he so bad that he's <laughs> always late, always missing? I mean, assignments. he's got money. I mean, Quark ain't gonna give him you no know, free drinks, you know. So he's he's making making some latinum somehow. But uh, yeah, speaking of making latinum, yep. shall we talk about our final episode of yep, Let's close it out of this week's podcast. That's gonna be season five, episode eighteen business as usual written by bradley thompson and david weddle directed by sadig Elfidel is how he's credited but alexander sadig or you know whatever uh whatever you want to refer people just call him sid so that's maybe we should just say that but uh, yeah this episode quark becomes involved with his cousin gala's arms dealing business until a rare attack of conscience puts him in a bind so we finally meet cousin gala he 
has his own moon, and he tried to blow up Quark one time. <laughs> you know, we get to meet him. I wasn't sure, and I've become gun-shy about looking up stuff on Memory Alpha, if we were supposed to remember him from a previous episode. We'd never seen him in the flesh before, but he sold Quark that Ferengi shuttle that took them back in time, and it actually had, like, a bomb on it. Uh, the, the one that was took them to, like, 1947 or yeah. whatever? Oh, okay. Wait, why did they have a bomb? Because Gala wanted to blow up Quark. <laughs> why do you want to blow up Quark? Like some bad business dealings in the past, rivalry or, or yeah. Okay. Um, I I think here you know he's being so nice to Quark, but he's trying to get out of the arms dealing business, and he right. you know, he needed someone to like take his place and someone that uh you know would 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 uh that Haggith would appreciate. We we get the scary dude Haggith. This this actor uh he, he I looked at, I did look him up. Yeah, he was one of the cops in a Clockwork or I think he was a, a cop who's like arresting Alex. Oh, I knew him from Beverly Hills Cop as the bad guy. Yeah, in that, yeah, in which yeah. He, is, he was in that too. He beats up Eddie Murphy, and I'm like, oh, he's a scary person. I I very distinctly remember him as a kid as being like. You know, a lot of the like, because Eddie Murphy's like such a kind of smart ass in that, and most of the people he runs into, he can kind of outwit. Mm. And this guy is the scary dude; he can't. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he's very like Anthony Hopkins type vibes to me, like mm. that, like that level of like sinister, evil British dude who's kind of terrifying. Yep, yep. Uh, although in this, he kind of he, he straight up gets, by the way, a Joe Pesci moment. He does the Goodfellas thing of like trolling uh, Quark that he's in trouble, that he's going to get messed up, and then he's like, "I had you going," or whatever. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, he's, when, he's a he's a cruel bastard. The, all the food prepared for the regent who the, the regent by the way played by another uh very impressive actor lawrence tyranny who uh i, yeah. I mainly associate him as the uh as a, a gangster mobster type character joe in reservoir dogs um, correct this guy was apparently a psychopath in real life though he uh i've always heard that. yeah he would he he would like get drunk and beat people up in that movie reservoir dogs he got in a fist fight with quentin tarantino i i don't know if it was on trek or somewhere else but like he was carrying a knife around <laughs> threatening people sort of yeah uh he, he was in star trek before he was cyrus Redblock in uh, the big goodbye in season one of next generation that's crazy because i feel like he's a guy who probably i feel like he would have total disdain for science fiction <laughs> and then he would probably be like I need a paycheck, so I'll put on this dumb fucking makeup. I think that's exactly what happened. But, but like, his performance is good. Like, he brings that creepy gravitas to just a handful of scenes. So about that, he had just had a stroke shortly before they shot this. And if you watch okay. it, his face is kind of, like, twisted up a little bit sometimes when he's speaking. But he could not remember his lines. Oh, uh, I was wondering about stuff like that, because, you know, like, even... The best actors sometimes have trouble with the sci-fi shit. Yeah, and I think this was like just four or five years before he died. He, he's been dead like 20 years at this point. Okay. But anyways, Alexander Siddig, first time director, you know, never done oh, any man. directing before. And, and this guy is a- He has to wrangle this motherfucker. This crazy <laughs> psychopath who has probably murdered people. <laughs> there, there's actually like one incident where it sounds like he might have thrown a woman out of a, 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 a window of a building. Okay. So he's having to like feed this guy like- not even line by line it's like four words at a time and oh, they, they shot it like that but his delivery i mean he does seem like the scary guy who's not all there it was very effective when this regent is talking about like uh yeah i want to kill uh, i want to kill 20 million people at first and then you have the death toll to, to rise another 8 million and then you you see gala and haggith just being like uh, oh yeah like no pro like like, this guy is just, you know, talking about, like, the most casual stuff ever, and they're just like, oh, yeah, like, we can get this order ready for you. I actually didn't like that the—it's one of those things that snapped my suspension of disbelief that, you know, that Quark could just, what, a few weeks or maybe, like, a month or something like that into being an arms dealer would be talking about numbers at that level. 
It just it just seemed a little too beyond silly uh, that I I, I kind of couldn't take it too seriously. What do you mean? Like like those numbers, like that core could be supplying uh, arms to kill millions of people, tens of millions. Those of like people. biogenic weapons. Yeah, even so, I'm like. Actually, if he even considered killing one person, like, I, I I feel like for sure we know he's looked the other way at that kind of stuff before. But, like, if he was, like, overtly responsible for, for that, ah, man, I'd have I'd have a tough time with it. And so I didn't I kind of didn't like him playing around in that territory with with him. Well, you know, like, I think, you know, a lot of people probably would look at it like, you know, if I if I sell someone a car. You know, and, and they choose to, like, go run over people with that car. That's not really, like, my fault, right? I get the mentality. I, I guess I suspect that, that Ferengi have, like, you know, people, nor huh, humans do that. Like, they absolutely do that. And they'll do it in much worse situations where they are responsible. They'll be, they'll they'll create this sort of sense of uh, mentally of plausible deniability. Mm -hmm. It's all about that um, uh, cognitive dissonance. Like, it's, like, self-serving cognitive dissonance that they actually want to have happen. And Ferengi are probably amazing at that, where they're just like, you know, it's like... Well, it's like, I didn't I didn't pull those triggers. Right, you know, right. what are you talking about? Um, I, if they had brought that up, which, you know, Deep Space Nine is sometimes, I think, quite good at remembering those kind of things that like, yeah, aliens are alien. They sometimes think differently from us and they could take something that's human and turn it up a little bit. I wish they had done that, actually. I, I would have loved it. But yeah, I don't know. It was a bit much. I was just like, I didn't need the numbers to be that high because that seemed absurd. And, and like if Quark had been willing to look away for killing a thousand people. Well, that would have been just as bad. I don't know. Like, I think, like, in terms of, like, all the, the planets and stuff and start, like, 28 million is, uh... I mean, I, I've kind of joked around about, you know, Trek deals in big numbers. If it really Kirk, doesn't, uh... though. It, it's, it can, compared to, like, a bunch of other uh, science fiction properties, I feel like Star Trek is, is very uh, conservative with a lot of that stuff. Like, the big, the big fleet a couple of episodes ago, that was, like, 50 ships or something. Like, it, you know, if, like... So, and stuff like like the other star franchise it'll be like oh here's like a hundred thousand death stars or something like that. You know, <laughs> well i was thinking like especially like tos which i just feel like i know best like the, the kill count sometimes to show something is bad whether it's the doomsday machine or that giant amoeba or how destructive the uh was it the m5 computer was like they, they kind of have some high body counts sometimes hundreds thousands millions it, it definitely can happen it's not just like a star base here and there sometimes. So anyway, yeah, that's I, I know not to broadly take anything with Quark, any of his solo stories too, too seriously. But yeah, that was for me, it was just a little beyond the pale. Yeah, I didn't I didn't have that issue. But uh, I, I like the idea of them using like the hollow suite as like a legitimate way to uh, to demonstrate <laughs> weapons. Uh, I like the yeah. the legal loophole of like, oh, the, the Bajoran government won't do anything to stop this because Haggath su supplied them weapons during the occupation. You just named the two things that I think I probably liked best about the episode, which I feel are those kind of DS9 details, which was a the the clever loot, the legal loophole of holodeck weapon sales and and b that uh the bajorans were like stay away from this guy he he kept us going during the what do you call it the, the occupation, occupation yeah yeah no i love that stuff and i would have liked more of it sprinkled around throughout it i would have liked a little less farce and and a little bit more seriousness. And you know the the beginning of the episode reminds us, yeah, Quark is in incredible financial troubles. You know he he can't he can't do business with the Ferengi Alliance. He he he's blacklisted 
uh, from them. Right. You know, they, they took. I had, all, they, I had kind of forgotten that. They, so they took all I, of his assets. Yeah, he's got like those black banners in his bar. You know, the the the, the liquidator brunt slapped up in there. <laughs> I wish that the, this is you know in, in the especially for the '90s era. You know, they still couldn't count on like people watching you know binging seasons or anything. I, I kind of would have liked a little bit of a reminder of how that came about. You know, just to reemphasize to the audience the dire straits he's in. Because you know him playing uh, was Tongo it uh, Tongo? With, with Dax, yeah, with Dax, and he just and he's looking. Oh, by the way, that I, I kind of cracked up because it was like somebody who's glued to their phone <laughs> when he's checking. Like I don't know what was it stock report? Yeah, yeah, or whatever, that's when he finances. he loses like the last bit of money that he that he that he had. Yeah, which that itself could have been arranged by Gala. You know, if Ga- Gala might have been trying to make Quark in an even more desperate situation mm. somehow, just to make him you know vulnerable to. Yeah, I think I would have. I think I would have liked that uh, little little tidbit. Yeah, that, that conversation also. But between Gala and Quark about like look at all those stars out there like you know wouldn't wouldn't you just you know turn a blind eye and let one of them be snuffed out for for enough latinum and stuff it's like you know like really creepy conversations like that I did like that I like that too and, and, and I uh, liked <laughs> although it was a little little campy itself I did actually kind of like some of the stuff with Yoshi or Kiriyoshi which I, I I didn't quite catch until I saw the subtitles I was like oh it's a sweet combination of like a, a traditional family name uh and uh, Kira in yeah. there that's that's and i like that very sweet. the o'briens they gave their first kid an irish name molly and then they gave their second kid a japanese name with kira yoshi yeah yeah it's super cool and Worf being the babysitter yes i liked that too again it's, it's kind of a little a little sticky but it was it was cute and i liked it they're gonna run with that so it's good you like it we'll see more of that oh good you know they've always done Worf. Worf and prune juice and stuff like that. They've always had some humor related to the big warrior sometimes doing something Worf and kind Molly. of... He, he delivered O'Brien's of... first kid on TNG. Sure, there's a connection. Uh, my favorite line in it uh, was um, uh, O'Brien talking to Bashir uh, when he's checking up on the kid uh, who's because of all the crying. And O'Brien's like, are you just telling me my baby's just sad? And Bashir's like, maybe he's become prematurely aware of life's existential isolation. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, super good. And then he's like, maybe maybe he'll be a poet or something. <laughs> yes, that was good. And, and and also, Cisco forced to keep everybody's voice down on the promenade when the baby finally falls asleep. <laughs> um, this was a good episode to drop something kind of like that in that's definitely more lighthearted. It is it is funny, though. It's like, oh, look, the baby's sleeping. And they're like, all right, back to the genocide story. Yeah, but I, li- I like Quark. Whenever the show like pushes him to like the point where he's got to do like the right thing, um, I, I always yeah. like seeing it. Where, where, yeah, like they... they do remind us consistently that he's he's a scumbag but he he does he does have his limits you know and he and i like i like seeing like how uh dax and cisco were so angry with him and and like that conflict and and quark i didn't need that dream i think that that dream sequence was a little weird and also like now that you've told me like your dislike of prophetic dreams i, I kind of uh <laughs> i notice them more now than i have ever before well you know i guess i didn't think of that one as prophetic i just felt like that was his conscience eating at yeah. him you know yeah yeah i'm sure That's... it is that one that one was okay conceptually like i did sort of think like i i broadly i think sometimes with quirk stories like you know that are that i want to show at least a somewhat multifaceted side to him i like the ones like where it's it's almost like oh like the one where he was wooing his ex-bride oh yeah looking for parmok in all the wrong places yeah i liked that one because it was i felt like a little bit more mature and ones where I feel like, you know, where they're building up to him showing a little bit more nuance and humanity, like the Ascent or this one, I sort of can sense that that's where their destination is. And mm. so I don't 
I don't always like the marking time part uh, on on the path there. Uh, there's another Ferengi episode coming up that we'll we'll discuss next week. Okay. I, li- I liked his I liked his scheme. I like how they they planted the Chekhov's gun earlier in the episode of like, oh yes, it's dangerous, but sometimes profitable if if you if you're dealing with both sides in a conflict. And so like he uses that to bring that general here to the the station. Though, though, though speaking of body I like couch, that it wasn't there's... it was kind of a Yojimbo move. Yeah, yeah. And also it reminded me of sort of uh if you've ever read the Hellblazer Constantine story uh-huh. in comics where he has to outwit uh he he, he, oh, the, he he's the dying demons. of cancer yeah, he... and he knows that the the devil like wants is like ready to like wreck him when he goes to hell and yeah he does a, a clever scheme where he like sells his soul to like multiple demons and arranges it for like that they all essentially butt heads when they all come for him yeah at the they're same all time. fighting for his soul so they they end up curing his cancer right so that he doesn't die right they don't they, <laughs> they don't want one of the other ones to get his soul so yeah w- right there's a there's also a big movie i don't want to spoil but it kind of does this as the climax but the idea of like when you use like oh there's like multiple sides out to get you let's use that to to our advantage mm-hmm. cisco specifically gives him by the way the approval i guess on this one <laughs> yeah 28 million and one when when the the purification squads not not only do they chase haggath and gala off the station uh but they also uh assassinate successfully assassinate the regent and and when when quark says like well i can think of 28 million people who won't mind and then cisco's like 28 million and one so yeah, yeah cisco approves of that assassination yeah first he's uh uh viral bombing uh, biological warfare stuff and uh chasing to bring in eddington now he's uh down with assassinations well, what's next cisco what's he's, next he, he's accepted that he, he talks to the prophet so it's, it's like i said like he's he's done asking for permission C- cisco just does from now on yeah all right well it's a it'll be it's exciting uncharted territory but yeah we'll have to explore more of that next week because we are uh done for the night that's gonna do it but please come back next week we're gonna finish off ds9 season five only eight to talk about next week but it's gonna be the, the remainder of the season everything from season five episode 19 ties of blood and water on through the season finale call to arms is this one of those season finales that's kind of intense? Um, I don't, I don't know. We'll just, you'll just have to see for yourself. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> I mean, they've all been Fair intense, enough. haven't they? They have, they have. It'd be weird if they weren't. But I'm also, I, I trust in Deep Space Nine to deliver, even if it threw me a curveball and it's like some contemplative episode. I'm, I'm down with it. But yeah, this has been a lot of fun for me. I've, I've always wanted to talk about stuff like, like, like Ducat and the, the Cardassians team with the Dominion, uh, Bashir's genetic augmentation. So there's, uh, there's going to be big stuff that, uh. I'm dying to talk about next week. Uh, So that will be live Friday at 7 p.m. Central or available to listen to wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.